Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the World of Warcraft Covenant controversy or something like that. I don't really know anything about it, but Buddy's going to tell us about it, and we're going to talk about it. Yeah, the, the, whole point oh, of this, the whole point of this is that Mango knows next to nothing, and I'm going to try and explain the situation as neutrally as possible and get his read on, uh, on, on kind of what's going on. Um, I want to like start with like a very elaborate joke. This is this is colloquially called the ripcord. Have have you seen like any anything along those lines, like the ripcord? I haven't seen anything. I think you mentioned it last week on the podcast when we put yeah, out okay, the call. The movement, but... If you actually, so if you go to like Twitter and you put in hashtag pull the ripcord, you're gonna get a bunch of wow nerds talking about how Blizzard should pull quote unquote pull the ripcord, um, which was obviously a reference to like parachuting. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's complicated. Okay, so, uh, boy, I don't even know, I don't even know where to start. Well, well I guess we actually blew through what the is, intro. What is, yeah. We're supposed to talk about, I'm supposed to say, and today we're talking about, we're talking about games or whatever, but, but we yeah, didn't We talk I'm about so games. Excited. Uh, uh, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Anyway, let's, let's so like maybe maybe I can frame this for you or f- start this framing for you. I think we can assume that everybody who's listening knows what World of Warcraft is. Sure. Um, so, what is the Covenant system? First off, okay. start with that. So, for the last couple of expansions in WoW, there has been what's called borrowed power systems. These are overall right systems that look like um, Azerite armor in Battle for Azeroth, the artifacts. Weapons in Legion, and now Covenants are the third iteration uh, that are coming in Shadowlands. In Legion, you got your artifact weapon, and over the course of the expansion, you powered it up, right? You got more and more AP, you shoved it all into the, you know, you shoved it all into your artifact weapon, and then your artifact weapon got, made made you as a character more powerful, right? Same thing is true for Battle for Azeroth and the Heart of Azeroth. You power up your Heart of Azeroth. You make all these Azerite traits do more work for you, that kind of thing. So so, Um, so something that I think I'd point out about this is that these were also made kind of with the expectation, um, especially after the the artifact weapon, that they get stripped away at the end of the expansion. So it's a thing maybe they can be a little bit more experimental with and not worry as much about, right? Correct. That is correct. So at both the end of... Uh, Legion, and at the end of Battle for Azeroth, right, we are losing that power. The heart of Azeroth and your Azerite traits from Battle for Azeroth will not work for you in Shadowlands. Um, Your artifact weapon will not work for you in Battle for Azeroth, right? They are locked to their expansion. And this is just to prevent power creep, right? You have to get, you know, in order for an MMO to be satisfying, right, you do have to get more powerful over time, but you do have to create barriers to being kind of like too powerful for like the content that you do they had actually seen some problems with this where people were farming old content for um like so for instance there was a while where in legion a warlords of draenor set bonus was actually parsing higher dps than the current item level set bonus so people were farming the old version of a from from a previous expansion in order to use its ability in the current expansion this all got you know wiped away they patched all of this out as sort of bug fixes talking about it as exploits or whatever um but you know like this is the general thesis behind borrowed power system you want your your player to power up over the course of time 
uh, over the course of an expansion, but they the, the power is borrowed. They will give it back at the end of the expansion, and we can kind of start the slate clean. The new version of power that we're getting in Shadowlands is tied into the four different covenants, right? Each of the covenants has their own flavorings and idea, right? Like, so the Kyrian are, uh, like, very noble angels. You go there for having done really selfless acts or whatever. Um, Maldraxxus is the necromancy uh, army of the of the Shadowlands, right? You go there if you are, like, a... Like a uh, a survivor, right? Like if you're a really tough fighter who's had to overcome a lot of tough fighting stuff, that that's kind of where you end up. Um, Ardenweald is all about the cycle of life. So for a long time, you know, Cenarius um, or the different Loa or the different ancients in wild lore, when they die, they go to Ardenweald and are taken care of before they are reborn back to the material plane right um so it's very naturey. their guys are called the night fae um you know moths and and seeds and stuff like that right um and then the final one is venthyr the uh the venthyr of revendreth is where you go if you're if you're a dick if you're a bad boy you go to revendreth and then the revendreth guys like whip you until you're good or whatever um, and that's what Revendreth is all about. It's all about making sinners atone for their bad behavior in um, in their time on Azeroth, right? Garrosh famously uh, went to Revendreth uh, after he died. Just, so, just, just out of curiosity from a lore perspective, did these things exist before this game or were they kind of invented for the kind of Shadowland? Like, like, meaning... You know, theoretically, they existed, but they were were they known about? Like, if you no. had asked, so we have seen we have seen hints of some of this stuff, um, and you can see kind of like this is this, the the kind of thing that always happens in expansion, right? People go back and find references to the old, you know, kind of characters. For instance, Zul, who is a very important character in the early quests of Battle for Azeroth, is a character that was hinted at and referenced in. Mists of Pandaria, where there was, like, a big Xandalari presence, right? Um, for this one, for Shadowlands, we have seen a lot of different kinds of references that have hit from the Shadowlands, but uh, we haven't seen, you know, like, these zones are all brand new, the Kiri and the Bastion, all this other stuff. This is all brand new stuff that we've never seen before. And just, just out of curiosity, to, to just to kind of round that out, like, if you had asked, say, like, a priest... Like a you know like an in universe priest about this would they have known these places existed and they just haven't mentioned it to the player or is this like a thing uh, they're finding out about as well or do we not know that yet I'm just curious because so I like more stuff we do there there are people who know um, and we have seen people who have like bridged the gap for instance Bonsamdi right uh, the troll Loa of death. Uh, knows about the Shadowlands and, like, goes back and forth, right? Um, And the whole book that just came out, and by just came out, I mean it came out, like, three or four months ago, that book dealt a lot with Bonsamdi and what he knows about, like, the the Azerothian afterlife, right? Um, So, yes, there is is lore, and there are people who kind of, like, know and people who sort of straddle the lines. But, like, the specifics have always been very unclear. It also, like, one of the things about the Shadowlands is that they're technically infinite. Like, these four covenants and these four locations are one of many, 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 right? Uh, something okay. that, like, the writers have talked about in interviews is that, like, you're not going to see, you know, it's not like everybody gets sorted into one of four Hogwarts houses, right? You're not, that like, that's not the way it goes. There are some characters who do get, like, an idyllic afterlife, right? You know, um, 
who just get to live the rest of their days in like blissful eternity away from all of this sort of like conflict and obligation that the Shadowlands otherwise represent. Um, so yeah, it is, it is, uh, there's like, there's like a lot of weird floor stuff, but anyway, so these are the four covenants, right? You have Castlevania vampire boys, you have nature boys, you have undead fighty boys, and then you have very prim and proper angel boys, right? So those are, the, those are the four covenants. These covenants come with a lot of stuff attached to them, right? There's lore attached to them, like I just described, right? Like, going to the different covenants has different implications in, like, a lore um, in, a, in a lore sense, and there are quests and story that are locked to those covenants. So, the example of the Class Hall campaign or the War campaign from the last two expansions is going to be the Covenant campaign. When you get to max level, you're going to have story quests that unlock that you can spend your time, right, like sitting down and, and running through this story um, to, to figure out kind of like what, what happens next. And each of the four Covenants has their own. Um, they also have all these other unique pieces about them, right? Uh, transmog, they have mounts, they have appearances, they have toys, they have, you know, battle pets, uh, they have solo mechanics. Like, so for instance, the Venthyr have a thing where each week you can, um, you can put on, uh, like a big party, right? Of like gothic nobles or whatever. And depending on what you do in that party, you'll get, you know, single player rewards whereas maldraxxus like the undead fighty boy place um they have a feature called the abomination factory which is every week you can build an abomination that accompanies you out into the world and that you can do quests and stuff to get you know uh to get like rewards for right so there's like a lot of stuff that goes into uh what the covenants are right but one of the most important things that they do is they influence the power of your character Right. Uh, this happens in, in three ways. Um, the most important of which are covenant class abilities. Right. If I am a demon hunter or actually if I'm a warrior, because I know the warrior abilities, I don't know the demon hunter ones. And I choose to become a Venthyr warrior. I have a different set of ability. Like I, I get a new ability that is unique to Venthyr warriors. Right. Which Night Fae warriors do not have access to. Right. Uh, and that's true for all three, or I'm sorry, that's true for all four uh, covenants. If I choose Venthyr, I get an ability called Condemn. It replaces my Execute. It's better than Execute in a variety of ways. It has additional functionality uh, compared to Execute that does cool things that I might, you know, like that I might like. Um, if I go Night Fae, I get an ability called Ancient Aftershock, which is like a big AoE knockdown um, that puts a, that puts a dot on a bunch of different guys, right? Um, there are also two other systems called Soulbinds and Conduits. Um, Soulbinds is sort of the talent tree. So like the artifact power, uh, of Legion and Battle for Azeroth had you sort of going down this talent tree, like picking up power as you, as you go. Uh, Shadowlands has a version of that and that is called like the Soulbind tree. And those trees are unique to their to the covenants, right? Um, so you might have like a proc that does extra shadow damage, or you might like summon a spirit of the forest to like come help with you. And those are both going to add to your DPS sort of thing. Right. Um, and the final piece of these are conduits. Conduits are covenant agnostic, but they get slotted into your soul bind trees in specific 
ways, right? Like the different soulbind trees all don't have the same configuration. So depending on what soulbind you go, you might have a different number of conduits versus soulbind traits that you are that you are taking. All of this, right, has kind of created a core conflict, which is which is the controversy that we're going to be discussing today. That conflict is in a certain sense water finds a crack, right? WoW is a game that is not quite solved in a true sense, but in a theoretical sense, it is solved, right? When I am a, a, like a high-end, uh, a high-level player, and I'm looking at a piece of gear, if I were to ask someone whether or not that piece of gear is good for me, they would tell me to quote-unquote sim it, which stands for simulation, where you basically, you put all of your gear into a computer program. The computer program runs a bunch of iterations of you just sitting there doing, you know, like your rotation, right? And it spits out an answer. And it says, if you equip this piece of gear, you will either gain, you know, 150 DPS on average, or you will lose, whatever, 150 DPS on average. If you gain DPS, theoretically, you equip that piece of gear. It'll also tell you, you know, like a number of other things, right? But like, that's sort of the core the core sort of like functionality of uh of like what what high-end players do and there is a real complaint specifically prevalent i would say on reddit and also on some other sort of like high-end wow player forums um which is that by tying player power to the covenants right you are forcing their hand and taking the choice out of their control right if I'm playing a warrior, and I know that Condemn is just the very best Covenant ability. It sims the highest. It gives me the most DPS. Well, I don't really have a choice whether or not I can go to Bastion, whether or not I could go to Maldraxxus. Even if I wanted to be, uh, you know, like an Angel Shepherd of Souls, or I wanted to be a, you know, like a brutal uh fighter using undead undeath magic right um my only option is to go to revendreth right because condemn sims the highest does the most damage and therefore i can't make the choice really to go to uh to go to another covenant now the final piece of the story which is where the where the the term pull the ripcord comes from is that the uh the wow development team actually talked about the problem entailing like in that where they where they have said you know like look it is hard to balance the game and if there comes a time when we can't keep the covenants balanced we will pull the ripcord and what the word ripcord means is they would decouple the covenant powers and soul bind trees and all that other stuff from the covenants themselves and allow you to choose a covenant because you like its transmog or its mounts, for instance, right? Um, while also being able to choose the uh, covenant ability that you uh, that you would prefer in that situation. A lot of folks have likened this to a talent tree sort of thing, like just have the four covenant abilities be capstones on the talent tree and be done with it, that kind of thing. So that's what pull the ripcord is. That's what the controversy is about. Uh, I don't know. Did I do a good job of explaining? Do you feel like you understand the situation? Sure. Um, I have a couple of questions, just kind of you know, for for information because I'm I'm uh, I'm curious. Um, okay. It just again, this is not going to be directly located in the mechanics, but I'm curious. Um, when you choose a faction, what is kind of the story idea there? Is this that like you died and went to that place, or is this like you got there and you they let you choose outside of kind of the normal way things go? 
Yeah, so technically you uh, is the second one. Um, you, w when it comes to the Shadowlands, the the big cinematic is Sylvanas rips open the spoilers, I guess, for anybody who cares about that. Sylvanas rips open the Helm of Domination, the Lich King's helmet, uh, which cracks open the sky above Ice Crown, which we have long known that, that Ice Crown is actually like a um, like kind of where the veil between the material world and the Shadowlands is sort of like the thinnest. And it's kind of like the like the fortress on the edge of that or whatever. Her cracking open the, the Helm of Domination uh, rips open the sky above the Shadowlands, right? A bunch of major lore characters go through. Jaina, Thrall, Anduin, Bane Bloodhoof, for instance. Um, and, uh, and the player also goes through, right? And they become what's called a Maw Walker. Um, because they can walk out of what what is like the fifth most dangerous zone known as the Maw, where the very, very, very worst souls go. Uh, so, for instance, like Arthas goes to the Maw, for instance. Like completely unredeemable pieces of shit go to the Maw kind of thing. Um, the player is still technically alive and they are still like technically like mortal. But then they arrive in the Shadowlands and they want to help defeat like the big bad guy or whatever. And so you have the choice to align yourself with the different covenants depending on, you know, if you would like to. Um, obviously, a piece of that decision might be, well, my, my character is kind of a shithead and would end up in Revendreth. So he's going to go to Revendreth. But it might also just be, well, my character is a pursuer of justice. Therefore, he wants to go to Revendreth to punish the sinful kind of thing. Okay, that makes sense. I'm going to probably have more lore questions, but I'm going to put those off because that, that even maybe fits in the back half. Um, sure. Uh, but um, can you change your covenant? I can't imagine that yes. you can't. But and it, what, is there like a limitation on that? Yeah, so changing your covenant is very free. If you want to change your covenant, all you got to do is go to another covenant and say, hey, I want to join you guys. They say, great. You lose your current covenant. You join your new covenant. That's fine. If you want to change back to a covenant that you have abandoned, however, you have to go through a two-week quest line that is, like, hard-gated on, on weekly resets, uh, which is basically, like, complete a bunch of world quests, do the dungeon in the zone kind of thing. Um, do that for two weeks. They let you back in sort of thing. Um, so swapping back and forth between covenants is easy come or wait, I'm sorry. It's, it's hard to swap to go back to a covenant that you left. It's easy to swap to a covenant you want to be. Okay. So like hard come easy go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess is what I was trying to go for. Yeah. Um, but, um, just kind of in that, uh, it, kind of in, in that vein, uh, then like, so like if I were like uber completionist, would I then be like, be like, well, I guess I have to rotate through all four covenants at some point um, to get all the stuff? Is, is so most players, myself included, are planning on ma uh, alts for that sort of purpose, right? I'm going to go through my one covenant or whatever on Baron, but I'm also going to have alternate characters, right? Tonric Gonder, right? Some of my my big alts who are going to go through those alternate campaigns sort of in the same way that like you know i did the warrior class hall campaign in legion but then i also had a max level shaman and i went through the shaman class hall right um that sort of thing sure okay that makes that that makes sense um but that is like theoretically if you wanted to do it on one character you would have to it, it would be a slog but that's like that, that is a completionist thing. That's not like a direct power. Actually, power technically, thing. I mean, so it would be a slog. Uh, but technically, I don't know how much it... Because if you're just going one to the other, it would be very easy to just swap 
you know, you start Venthyr and you go down the list sort of thing. It would be easy to swap into each of those. But you would have to sort of do the grind in the quest line all over again. Sure. No, no. So the thing that pops into my head immediately is this kind of thing where it's like, well, I really want to be this. And in order to do that optimally, I actually have to do them last after I've spent like, you know, three months doing the other, you know, the other three factions. Um, but that is neither here nor there with player power. This is just kind of like me as a guy who, who occasionally like leans in that completionist direction being like, hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, maybe this is the way I need to I need to to do things if I were gonna do this. But mm-hmm. um, uh, so that all aside, the thing that seems to me to be the worst thing in all of this was Blizzard saying that they have a ripcord ready to pull. I feel like they should have never said that. <laughs> Right. Yeah, probably. Uh, they have since announced, by the way, that the time where they would have made the pull the ripcord decision has passed. They are not pulling the ripcord. Uh, the covenant systems are locked the way they are. Part of it is because, like, um, the the systems are all built to sort of like tie in together. So, for instance, um, if I am someone who is a pull the ripcord kind of person or whatever, you sort of assume a lot of power goes into the individual covenant abilities, right? So for instance, the, um, you know, like, like condemned for warriors or whatever, like that is the core thing that's, that's changing up your build. But Blizzard has said they want to make the system like more holistic than that. So for instance, let's say I am a, I'm, I'm a fury warrior and the ability that sims best for me is condemn, right? Well, I also have, as Blizzard, I can tune the soulbind trees and I can tune kind of like the co- the conduits to make up for that. So like, yeah, okay, sure. Maybe because Ancient Aftershock is this big, long cooldown AoE, whereas Condemn is just like another rotational ability, right? Um, I, can, I can balance Ancient Aftershock via conduits and via soulbinds to sort of shore it up in places where it's weak. Same thing with Condemn, right? Um, in order to make it appealing. Like, for instance, in Mythic Plus, your ability to do AoE, like sustained AoE over the course of a 30-minute dungeon, is typically more important than your ability to do single-target DPS, right? So, um, Ancient Aftershock is probably going to be very good in Mythic Plus, whereas Condemn is going to be pretty bad, because Condemn is just single-target execute, right? Um, And so... Blizzard has the ability to add conduits that interact with Condemn, to have soulbinds that do greater AoE damage, to sort of like shore it up so that it is more, it is a more kind of complete package. Um, and the way Ian talked about it in his most recent post, like they were kind of like, we could, like, if we wanted to pull the ripcord, right, uh, it would kind of mean having to go back to square one on these systems, but we're kind of committed to going, you know, to going hard on the systems. Okay, no, that, that that makes sense. I still think it's probably a bad idea to tell people that you have the ability to pull the ripcord because um, that just invites this kind of thing. But yeah, um, so the thing that makes kind of the most sense to me isn't kind of like the first order effects of you know you know I feel like I can't choose this ability because I will perform worse, right? I think it's the second order of like the, the thing that makes the most sense to me is the second order effects of, you know, the pug raid groups on the server won't let me in if I'm not the right covenant in the same way that, you know, you need to link ahead of the curve in order to get into some raid groups. Yeah, that's a very real anxiety for sure. Um, So in terms of like where I think that this criticism is the most legitimate, and this is, you know, ultimately a community problem, but like I see kind of like the, 
you know, I feel like I have to do this in order to play, in order to even play the game because I don't have like a dedicated clan or something that you know is willing to work with me, and that the assholes that you know that tend to run these pickup groups are not going to let me in if I don't pick the quote unquote optimal thing. So it's not my fault. It's the fault of all those assholes out there that are running the you know the the, the pug LFG groups. Um, uh, do you see that as kind of like does that argument make any any sense to you? No, so it definitely does, right? Uh, but my thing with that is that that is a problem sort of with the community more sure. than it is a problem with, like, the systems themselves. In fact, to be – so, okay, to be completely honest, I think part of it it, go, it goes even sort of a third level deeper, which is the idea of, like, what is, like, power? So, for instance, um, I run a build on my Prot Warrior right now when I was going really hard for those mythic – plus 15s that I was holding you about called the gasoline build. The gasoline build is built around uh, a couple of, it's like a couple of core talents that all synergize really well with each other, where you are generating lots of rage. And then based on the amount of rage that you generate, your cooldowns get decreased. So you are cycling cooldowns very aggressively because your cooldowns have cooldowns like 45 seconds rather than two and a half minutes, right? Because you're spending all this extra like rage or whatever. And you're trying to keep all this uptime on on your cooldowns as much as possible right um that is that is like one way to play prot warrior right there's another way to play prot warrior which is the way that i got my ahead of the curve which was uh all about uh it's like a heavy repercussion spilled it's another talent right that extends the duration of my shield block whenever i shield slam so you're trying to get as many resets on shield slam as possible to keep these long huge block chains going um as well as sort of threading uh the damage ability revenge and the and the soak ability ignore pain um kind of like back and forth so on one hand the gasoline build is much better performing right and if you were to talk to somebody about playing a prop warrior or like show someone a guide on playing a prop warrior they would recommend going the gasoline build but i did not need to go the gasoline build in order to get ahead of the curve right i got ahead of the curve with my heavy repercussions build so and, and it's not and also it's not like i was like being carried or anything like that in fact i was probably one of the higher performing members of the raid at the time um so in my head there's sort of a question between optimized and viable that sort of needs to be settled in the first place right sure. because i think part of the mindset of a lot of these like hardcore players who are talking about you know like what sims the best oh condemn sims better so i have to go you know fear like i have to go uh venthyr are sort of missing one for the other because the real test of the balance of the abilities isn't that they are all optimized against one another, right? Like they, they are all outputting the exact same amount of DPS, right? But instead that they are all viable. Right, within, within relative striking distance of each other, right? Like this, this yeah, is a exactly. thing that I'm familiar with from like, say, fighting games where like people put out tier lists. And then some people will be quick to point out like, you know, yes, that has like some differences and like, you know, maybe like maybe it matters on like the, the margins, but like, if you're t as long as your tiers aren't super far apart, you know, it th that doesn't mean that you can't play the the characters, right? Like, there's a, there's a whole discussion here too, where you know about it's a very similar conversation, right? Like, you know, yeah, um, you know, no, I mean, it's super true in Hearthstone too. Like, we've talked about this, like uh, tier one decks versus tier whatever, you know, like low tier tier four decks kind of thing. And I would say Hearthstone actually has a lot of this. There are very 
like because deck building is is sort of a tested skill in Hearthstone, right? Your ability to create a deck that has synergy and that works together, and there are all of the cards are really earning their spot and pushing towards a win condition or whatever. It's kind of in a certain sense fair. If you if you put a bunch of Chillwind Yetis into your deck, you should expect to lose compared to a deck that is tighter and more and more refined in a way. Right, right? that's part of the like, game. This is the Alex, the, or, sorry, the Mark Rosewater thing of bad cards have to exist so that players can learn to choose good cards, essentially, um, which is part of his arguments about like power creep or whatever. Right, like if we don't put bad cards in the set. Uh, that it becomes harder for people to differentiate skill level via deck building. But I think there is a real question of, like, is that a skill that WoW tests? I would argue not really, right? Like, um, your ability to read on the fly and do the math of figuring out, you know, like, how your build works is something that very few people really do. Um, And most of the time that just gets off put on machines, right? Like... If you want to know if your build is effective, you don't, like, look at the different pieces of it and try and eyeball it, right? You just plug the numbers into the sim, and you let the sim take care of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I feel like this is kind of like a, like a Pareto-esque principle, but you just, you know, it's like the game determines where the uh, the number is. For those of you who don't know, the Pareto principle is also known as, like, the 80-20 principle, which is, like, uh, you know, 80% of the outcomes can be determined by 20% of the inputs. Um, essentially, like, you know... It gets increased, like, the, the gains you get get increasingly harder once you're past a certain mark. And this is usually 80-20, but sometimes it's, you know, 60-40 or 70-30. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like what we're discussing here is kind of, like, where that line is, right? Like, Hearthstone's probably much closer, and Magic are probably much closer to, like, the uh, to like a, a lower version of this. Where, like, you know, like, you can actually get more gains um, by, uh, by, by continuing to optimize your deck. Whereas I feel like WoW is kind of, like, very much, like... You know, those last couple points are very. Those last couple points of uh, of differentiation are hard to get, right? Like you, you're, you know, you have to come up with like a real strategy for a magic deck to work together. Whereas, like, well, you just kind of like maybe need to pay attention and make sure you're taking. You know, if you're doing AOE, you take the AOE abilities instead of taking you know a mishmash of abilities. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that- I do think that a certain amount of it exists in WoW, right? Like, obviously, you know, part of the basic construction of the game is presenting players with like a set of systems and then kind of encouraging them to create uh like synergistic builds between them so for instance the gasoline build is an is an um an interaction between a couple of different talents one of them is booming voice which says your demoralizing shout uh generates 40 rage for free and like it increases your damage dealt right another one is called bolster which reduces the cooldown of your last stand ability um and your last stand you know like grants you shield block for the duration uh and then uh another one is unstoppable force which is like when you have avatar up your the the cooldown on your thunderclap is reduced by 50 percent. well if i'm looking at those those three talents right and then I look at the talent Anger Management, which says that the cooldown on Demoralizing Shout, Last Stand, and Avatar get reduced by one second for every 20 rage that you spend, right? You can clearly see, it's like, oh, 
I don't just pick booming voice in a vacuum. I pick booming voice because I'm going to take anger management and I'm going to reduce the cooldown on it a lot. And so I can cycle through more of the demoralizing shots. And each one of those demoralizing shots is going to give me 40 rage, which is going to be an extra two seconds off of the cooldown of whatever. And then I'm going to use the bolster ability to fill in holes of my shield block, right? Like part of what makes warrior like compelling is trying to find ways that you can keep your shield block uptime as much as possible or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, maybe I don't need extra shield block charges. I just need to put a last stand in the gap and then if i need more rage i just activate avatar and i'm using thunderclap on cooldown and thunderclap generates rage so i'm like reducing my cooldowns even more like all of all of those things kind of like piece together and i do think it's a real skill that wow is asking you to engage in right to look at the synergies between those talents and go, you know what? I'm going to pick them all together. This is a package that I'm going to go for. In the same way that there are other versions of this which have, like, other sorts of packages, right? Um, uh, and this extends out into legendaries. It extends out into Azerite traits. You know, it extends out into a lot of different ways that players will kind of, like, build their characters. Um, but one of the things that I find interesting about all of this is how little it actually mattered when I put it to the test. Um, so here's kind of here's kind of my um, here's kind of my example for that. So for Arms Warrior, the build that most people go is a Test of Might build, right? Test of Might says that you use Colossus Smash, and inside of that window, for each point of rage that you generate, you're going to get a strength buff at the end of the window, right? So Colossus Smash lasts eight seconds. You Colossus, it has a 45 second cooldown. You Colossus Smash someone, right? And then you dump as much rage as you can inside of the DP, inside of the debuff window. The debuff ends, and you get a big fat strength buff on the other hand. Sometimes two, two and a half times as much strength um, as you would have like in a normal scenario. That's pretty great. That's pretty huge. Um, but something that I learned pretty quickly over the course of like playing Baird as a high level arms warrior is that there are a lot of pieces of arms warrior that I could kind of mix and match without affecting my DPS all that much. For instance, one of the Azerite essences that I was using at the time, which is called memory of the lucid, Dr lucid dreams, synergize with this really well it has it's a two minute cooldown and it says uh for 15 seconds right all of your stuff that generates rage generates twice as much rage so what i can do is i can use colossus smash and then i use lucid dreams inside of the colossus smash window and i'm generating enough rage that i can just fill every single global cooldown with tons and tons of rage and i can just dump it all to get these fat huge gigantic strength buffs right um but when i also started moving to other azurite essences like i could do condensed life force which spawns a little guy that gives you haste and he attacks the target um i could use uh purification protocol which is like a big aoe uh on a one minute cooldown that synergizes well with colossus smash i could use um essence of the focusing irish which is like a big kamehameha sort of beam or whatever that would do this sort of thing i could use even like so for instance vision of perfection which says that your attacks have a chance to activate blade storm for a certain amount of time right i could use vision of perfection which is like a bottom tier azurite essence if i were to go by any list any guy they'd be like ah this is not really worth it and i was still outputting about the same amount of dps that i was um with other versions of the like with other versions of the build right and then i started playing around with that vision of perfection build by going deeper into avatar or deeper into bladestorm and trying to find more and more synergies with bladestorm so for instance i swapped out all of my tests of might for um an azurite trait called gathering storm which just makes your bladestorm that much 
more powerful. And, you know, obviously it turns out that if I'm using an Azerite Essence that's activating Bladestorm all the time, and I am, uh, and I'm stacking this Azerite trait that is making my Blade Storms that much more powerful, I'm actually doing pretty comparable damage to when I was doing the Test of Might stuff. Now, I think if I were to put all of this into a Sim, it would not say that. I think the Sim would show a real huge difference between the the Test of Might build, which has a lot of kind of theoretical power, right? Versus the more incidental and um, kind of practical power of the Bladestorm build. But I was really surprised at the end of the day that I could build my character in both of these ways and I was sort of outputting the same the the, the same amount of damage. Yeah, no, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me because there's like, like in addition to kind of like what you're highlighting is like this theoretical power, right? Like a lot of it's also kind of like, you know, at the end, at the edge of like this is a theoretical person playing perfectly against a, you know, a, a we essentially assume it's like a training dummy, right? Like or or something yeah. like that, right? Like mm-hmm. um, without having to account for you know miss cycles, not because you're not playing right, but because you say you you have to move because of a you know a, an AOE effect or something, right? Like um, yeah, so that intuitively makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but so like let's. How do I, how do I want to ask this? Let, let's stipulate to the idea that like you know you're 100 correct, right? Like that like these differences aren't nearly so great as people imagine them to be, um, and you know you actually have a lot more freedom in your ability in practical senses, right? That still doesn't solve the problem of there is this perception that that difference me- means a lot, and also the second order effect of you know people are are gaining access to the ability to play the content in a pickup group based on their perception of this power differential. How do you yeah, think you I, go about solving I that, that problem? It's even, a, it, it, it's even a deeper problem than that because like, so I, I laid out this viability versus optimized thing, right? Which is to say that like, I can play a class that is viable, right? Um, that is doing the amount of damage I need it to do in order to progress through the content. Right. Um, without necessarily being optimized. But I think that there are a lot of players for whom that is a losing proposition, right? These are folks who are not playing World of Warcraft because they want to, right, like, because they want to perform a little bit less than they than they could have, but, like, good enough for, for the content they're doing, right? Like, these are folks who see a build that will do more and they say i am playing the worst build right and in situations especially in like progression sorts of situations right if you wipe at one percent now all of a sudden i feel like i'm on the hook because i was playing the quote-unquote viable build when i could have been playing the optimized build and maybe the extra damage that between that viability and optimization would have been enough to get me over the line well now all of a sudden i have a social pressure on me from that side as well where it's like I am not performing at my best. I'm sort of asking these other players to to, to carry me, right? right? Which I think is also a very negative feeling. So I, I, I don't and, agree with all of that. And I think there's there's also like a true version of that, right? Like I have heard other uh, podcasters talk. This is in the, the 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 context of fourteen, actually, where like people will just like play their characters, you know, like you know, e- even insofar as like you can make choices in the game. There's like wrong ways to play characters right like um like you know like your healer focusing on doing dps instead of healing right it's like a wrong way to play a healer and and you know by forcing that issue 
um, say in a, in a dungeon, you are forcing your shittiness onto four other people, right? And like, obviously, there's a there's a gap there, and there's like clear there's there's one side of the line and the other side of the line for delineations you can clearly make um, in kind of you know representative cases. But there, it, that's obviously a continuum. There's going to be a fuzzy point where that line exists, right? Yeah. Um, and and like you said, right? Like that line gets even fuzzier when you know potentially you know like oh it's only a one percent difference, but maybe the one percent difference is the difference between victory and failure. And it's imp- you know it's also impossible to know, right? It's impossible to know that if you were running the other build, if you would have performed correctly. Um, um, but how do how do you think you go about fixing that problem? Yeah. Okay. So so I so I do want to establish, and I do think all these problems are real. But I think at the end of the day, um, the imagined harm and the imagined ease are both exaggerated. Um, I was able to get, uh, plus 15, you know, like I was able to get Keystone Master season, but like Battle for Azeroth, Keystone Master season four, whatever it's called that, that like achievement, which like, you know, not a lot of players have that is mythic level rating, but for mythic dungeons. Right. And I obviously did it because I wanted the mount. Um, but like, you know, it was, it was something I spent a lot of time and effort kind of like getting myself into, into that arms warrior, um, is not particularly, like, meta. Uh, and if someone were to be asking, you know, like, if you were to be looking at the very best mythic times, at the very best mythic players, you would not be seeing arms warriors in those, um, in those lists. Um, and I think people sort of exaggerate the, the difficulty with which it is, you are able to kind of, like, breach into that echelon of content right like at the end of the day i mean so at the end of the day i got my plus 15s partially as a tank right and protection warrior was the meta tank at the time um so i did you know maybe like half maybe like two-thirds of these plus 15 dungeons on the super meta you know like the super meta tank um but i also did a bunch of them on arms just because i was signing up as both a tank for some groups and arms as for for other groups kind of thing um and So, which is to say that I think that the barrier to getting into those groups is lower than people think. And now, there are going to be a lot of groups that don't, you know, that, like, don't take you, right? There are a lot of groups that didn't take me. I was applying to a lot of things that were, like, plus 15, plus 16, um, and those groups were saying no. But I think uh, there are more reasons than just covenants for, for people to say no, right? Like, maybe they already have a warrior in the group. They don't need my battle shout or whatever, so they're going to take another, you know, like, they're going to take another melee DPS. Um, maybe they already have two melee DPS in the group, and they want a ranged to balance, you know, like, to balance things out. Um, and they think that that's important. Maybe, you know, they know that, uh, like, I don't know, maybe they know that there's good interaction and synergy between this type of class and that type of class, right? Um, or like they need a certain kind of important, uh, class utility option. Like druids carry a battle res, for instance. So we're only looking for DK's druids and warlocks because all three of those can battle res. Um, we're only looking for hunters, mages, and shamans because those three classes can lust. So there are a lot of different reasons why you might not be right for a group that is running like the content or whatever that that uh, that you are running. Um, and I think it's very possible and very fair that covenants will become a piece of that um one of the interesting things about covenants from a player power perspective is that covenants can unlock bonuses in dungeons including mythic dungeons based on what it is right so for instance if if i walk into the the 
Necrolords, the Maldraxxus dungeon or whatever, and I am a Necrolords Covenant player, I can unlock graveyards and skips that the other Covenants wouldn't have access to. So if I'm running that key and I have four people from non-Necrolords Covenants, it, it would make sense that I would be looking for someone who is, you know, like, can I get a Necrolords player to fill this last spot so that we have access to that stuff, right? Um, but I think at the end of the day, like, this is just the reality of the system uh, and that, you know, the way that you fix it is just apply to everything and eventually you'll, you know, like, eventually you'll get in. Um, and on the opposite, like, on the far opposite end, I also think that the bottom is kind of better than people give it credit for. Um, people will sort of talk about being you know, uh, sort of, uh, undesired for certain sorts of like certain sorts of content, which is locking them out of content. And I do think that that might be true in like hardcore progression mythic rating. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I just sort of feel like there isn't as much of a, like there isn't as much of a problem getting into and gearing your characters up to get to a place where they are competitive. Really at the end of the day, like, I think the thing that made my gathering storm builds do the exact same damage or not the exact same but around the same damage right um as my lucid dreams test of might build uh was that i was playing a very well geared character that had you know like i had put the time in on baron and i was very high item level on baron and i just had a lot of that passive power and as long as i was making you know smart choices um that were synergistic between themselves or whatever, I was able to sort of get there when it came to uh, when it came to putting out you know the output that I needed. Yeah, no, no, that, that makes that makes that makes sense. Like, uh, I, I feel like uh, I, I feel like that's like cold comfort to a lot of people, though, right? Like the you know, like oh, just you know, ig ignore the haters and, and and press on, right? Like at some level, that's that's got to be it. But I. I wonder if like there's a way to like really solve that problem that I don't know if there is right like because in order to have a game that's interesting you're going to inherently have some kind of like loss of balance at some point right like you have to at least have people who who are better at certain things than others at, cer at certain things. Um, uh, it's it just it's an interesting problem because this is you know WoW certainly has its uh, has its has its problems like this but I actually think it's one of the the less kind of uh, annoying versions of this, right? Like I mentioned the FGC, but I think where it like really gets kind of toxic is, is something like League of Legends, right? Like, cause like at least in a, in a fighting game, right? Like you are responsible for you and you alone. So you don't have that kind of like force this onto somebody else problem. Um, like if you enter as like a low tier character and you lose, well, you're not disappointing anybody but yourself. Um, uh, Whereas in League, right, like, you know, and again, like, League's also a good example where there are wrong decisions, right? Like, playing a Master Yi as your support is not a good decision, right? And, like, maybe there's some situations where you do that as a Lark, right? Um, but, like, uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, if you, like, queue for support and then don't play a support character as a support, then you've kind of, like, forced that onto four other players who have now decided to waste at least, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of their time, Um uh and uh like that like and but there's like you know there's grades of this right as we were talking about right like you know you know maybe you're not playing a master use support but maybe you're playing you know uh a 
a an assassin jungler and a tank jungler meta as like a thing I can pull out of my head, right? Like, how do you think? How do you think you, you deal with those kinds of problems? And I, th- I think these kinds of things, these kinds of criticisms that you've levied, um, apply in this way as well, right? I think to a greater extent, right? Like, you know, yeah. Like, so for instance, this is one of those things where, um, okay, so our raid group has five retribution paladins, right? Um, you just don't need that many and it would probably service the raid group better right if some of those ret paladins swapped to classes that we didn't have because all classes have utility right you know like have some piece of utility that is like useful to the raid warriors have battle shout you know uh priests have power word stamina like i said druids have battle res certain like characters have like bloodlust and stuff like that um and you know uh one is enough a lot of the time, right? Like, you have your one warrior, that's good enough. Any other warrior, hypothetically speaking, is sort of, like, redundant. But there's also a, you know, like, there's also a sort of mindset, which is, like, bring the player, not the class, right? Um, Which has been a WoW philosophy for a long time. You want to bring good players on good characters, right, who are doing good numbers, rather than bringing characters because, you know, well... We already have, you know, we don't need a sixth of red paladin. Let's, you you have to, if you want to come to the raid, you have to play monk kind of thing. Like that, that's like kind of ridiculous in a way. Um, but, you know, it is, a, it is like, a, it is kind of a piece of the puzzle. At the end of the day, right, like we cleared heroic Nihilotha. We probably, you know, maybe we could have gone into mythic, who knows. I don't think we had really the player skill for sort of like mythic raiding or whatever. But, you know, getting ahead of the curve, clearing heroic Nihilotha without it being like carries or anything like that um, is is sort of a real achievement and I do think kind of suggests that like the game is better balanced than people give it you know kind of like that people give it credit for um, I also think that it's interesting in the context of talking about like League of Legends for instance because like okay so this is something I think about all the time when it comes to WoW. WoW is a game both of skill and dedication right? Which is to say that it rewards both skill and dedication. Whereas League is not a game that does that, right? It sort of used to be in a way, but it is no longer anymore. When you enter into a game of League of Legends, you have the exact same amount of power as any other character who walks into a game of League of Legends. And that power effectively resets at the end of your game. You go start a new match, you're, you're, you're back at, like, level zero to a certain extent at lower like levels or whatever you might not have access to you know like i know that you don't have access to flash at first or whatever else sort of thing so like you could say that there is a certain amount of dedication necessary to like get up to that level but the lion's share of league games right there is no power differential because you have played ten thousand games and i have played a hundred right wow is very different than that wow rewards you with power for being dedicated to the game right if you show up to raid every single week if you do your mythic plus 15 chests right if you are doing right like heroics if you're doing uh pvp high level pvp you are going to generate more gear and each one of those gear each pieces of those gear is is like something that could be the best thing for you and over the course of a season of of like wow's game time or whatever um the more dedicated player is going to be rewarded with better gear that is more optimized for them than the less dedicated player right um 
and that's a huge piece of the power equation that goes into how it comes how it like it turns out to be a world of warcraft player i have a lot more power on baron because i was willing to to put in more time into the game and running content right like doing those mythic 15s means that baron is a lot more powerful than you know another character in the raid right whom i might throw under the bus by like mentioning them by name but i guess i won't do that here sort of thing right um and i think that that's kind of like a piece of the puzzle in a way and it's the same sort of thing where it's like where people can see me you know like i baron am a capable player versus someone like you know, who doesn't put in the time and who doesn't have sort of the markers of that dedication would not get the same sort of treatment that I would, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I get that. That's like a, just kind of like an interesting thought, right? Like how, how do you balance the game so that it's not just like all dedication or, you know, dedic- dedication in a different form, right? Like like the, the, the kind of like um version of this that you know we often decry is like dedication in the form of like willing to pour money in right like this is like you know like yeah. Yeah, pay to win is a form of dedication right like how much money am i willing to spend to, to buy myself mm-hmm. an advantage um yeah this came this comes about with uh with corruptions in battle for azeroth right like so battle for azeroth has these has these things where you can get corrupted gear right it's like corrupted by the old gods or whatever um and depending on how you build your character a lot of your damage can come from these corruptions right which are entirely random procs in a lot of instances right like you might proc a beam that just snakes through a bunch of guys that does 18 percent of your max health in damage to them and over the course of a dungeon most of your damage might come from that beam procking over and over and over and over again and people talk about how like that's bad for the game because you know there's no skill involved in that right if i am a character and i'm just walking into a dungeon and auto attacking people i'm gonna proc the beam a certain amount of times right um and that damage is sort of like a consistent thing but i look at that and i say no like that beam is a that is a reward for my dedication to the game i put the time into my cloak you know, like leveling up my cloak so that I could have high corruption resistance so that I could equip this high corruption item, right? Um, and that power, it, 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 isn't, it doesn't come from my skill set, right? It comes from my dedication to the game and me willing to put the time and effort in to getting that, that strength. And in a certain sense, it's kind of not, it's, it's almost like sort of saying get good, right? Like the version of that that says, if you want more damage output, you have to be a better skilled player, which is absolutely something that like wild players will say to one another, right? That's sort of like get good, right? But when players come to me and they complain about their DPS being low, and this happens all the time in the guild, right? Because there are players who don't play as much as I do or don't care about the game as much as I do. They're just sort of like logging on to raid each week. And they say, why is Baron's DPS so much better than mine? Well, I kind of am like, earn it. You know, like I put the time in and you didn't. Therefore, I deserve to do more damage than you because I have, you know, the optimized corruptions and build and everything like that. Um and that's like a weird angle that people I don't think are willing to kind of confront because we think about games in terms of this like league skill mindset when WoW is not that game. I want WoW to reward me for being for, – for dedicated. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think there's also kind of like like corners on this, right? Like, you know, I, I it, it sounds like – and I will – you know, I haven't played this game in forever. But like it sounds like they have a good balance here where like, you know – you know, there's this l- luck aspect of getting the corrupted piece of gear that does the, the nice amount of damage, but it sounds like you mm-hmm. also have to put the time in, in order to be able to equip that piece of gear, correct? Like that's- yeah, so th- just the, the way this works is the legendary cloak has 15 ranks. 
at rank one it has like 12 corruption resistance but at max rank it has 50 and then if you do uh the horrific visions thing over and over and over again you can get these uh you can get these like things that will increase your corruption resistance all the way up to 125 right so baron right now has 125 corruption resistance because i have put the time in on horrific visions over time to get that you know thing or whatever um and then the corruptions do drop on items but you can also buy them from a vendor so for instance if i have a very good sword or whatever but it doesn't have the corruption i want i can go to a vendor and i can buy it for a bunch of currency that you get just for doing stuff in the game um, and I can put that corruption on the sword that, that I, you know, like they, that I want, that I have kind of thing. Um, and so, um, and that's a process that takes a long time. You know what I mean? That corruption is like 15,000 echoes of Nihilotha, which is maybe like a month to six weeks of earning that currency, right? By, by like putting in a certain amount of time. Cause you get maybe like two, I feel like you get about 2,500, ish 2500 to 3000 currency a week if you're putting the time in sort of thing um and at that rate it would take you five to six weeks to 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 earn enough corrupt to earn enough echoes to buy the corruption to do like that sort of damage that's the kind of thing that i'm talking about right like that's not a skill test thing that's just a me putting the time in it's a little bit of a skill test right i mean but mostly it's it's just me putting the time yeah yeah um hmm. yeah no it's 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 the grind right like huh no, it's it's hmm. it's interesting because like this is gonna go a little bit a, a field, but like I'm thinking about like kind of like what I really want out of like a game because like I recently picked 14 back up and uh, you know it's all right, but like I'm I'm like you know like they, like it lacks some of the choices that even WoW has right, but it's also got some other things that I think it does better. Like I think the crafting system is much better in uh mm-hmm. in 14 than yeah than, than in WoW, but um uh I'm I'm thinking about like kind of like if I could like design kind of my ideal. Um, lifestyle-ish game, right? Like, because, like, you know, I like Destiny. I'm considering going back to that because they've got a, they announced a new expansion, or they announced a new expansion, which has got all sorts of stuff in it. Um, and it's kind of like, well, what what didn't I like about Destiny? Well, it's like, the itemization isn't very differentiated, and, like, the, like, it's done, like, the full WoW thing, where it's, like, abstracted all of the kind of different stats to one number, which is, you know, the, the power level, and the power level bigger mean power level better, right? So there's, like, not a lot of choice there either, right? You just want to, you know, make number go up. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, WoW actually kind of got... It started... The expansion started that way, but we went back to only pieces with the secondary stat, I want matter. Like, for instance... So part of this is a corruption thing. There are corruptions that say you increase the amount of haste rating, so, like, that number of haste you have right. by 12%. And you can buy that corruption over and over and over again, put it on a bunch of different pieces of gear. So Baron right now has, like, six... No, less than that. He's got to have, like, five. He has five of those corruptions. So my haste rating is passively increased by 60%, which gives me just, like, way, 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 way more haste. And it turns out haste is, like, the best stat for sort of, like, Arms Warrior, which I actually don't like that because I like when – I like gearing to be simple in a way. Where I look at a piece of gear and I say, "Oh, this has better item level. I'm gonna, I'm gonna top, pop it on," kind of thing. Um, but we're at that sort of point where it's like, "Oh, this is 45 item levels better, but it doesn't have haste on it." Into the fucking trash, like get yeah. out of here, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I feel like I want like a, uh, like a, like a like a little bit of choice in there, right? Like a little bit of kind of wiggle room there, where like you know. You can be like, all right, I'm looking between at things within like 15 item levels, and like you know, I can yeah. pick one. 
um, mm-hmm. or something Absolutely. like that. Um, I mean, in, in the Destiny case, part of the problem is is that like there's like not a, like because it's such a gun focused game, there's like not a, like you, you can only make guns different ways in so many ways without like getting really wacky, which I think Borderlands Three does pretty decently. Um, but I think there's just like uh, there's just other problems with that game in that like. Um, yeah, no, I definitely get that. Like, there's also a certain question of, like, um, so, like, one of the things that WoW lets you do in the current iteration and also going forward into Shadowlands, it's, like, if a gear, if a piece of gear isn't right for you right now, you can actually sort of hold on to it and make it good later. So, for instance, um, for a long time, I was using an item. Uh, I was using, a, a like, a belt that was worse than a belt that I had in my inventory, theoretically, right? But this belt had a gem slot on it and, um, and like, the correct corruption. So all I needed to do, technically speaking, was get enough currency to buy a gem slot item because you can add gem slots to items with this, you know, with this thing. Um, and get enough currency to buy the corruption that I want, and then I put those two things on the better belt in my bag, and then I can equip that belt, and it's better sort of thing. So it's a little, you know, it's like it's a little mix and match. I also feel like one of the w- things that's a little bit weird about it when when it comes to WoW is the power of rings, um, because rings don't have any of your primary stat. There are no rings that are like plus strength anymore. Uh, there used to be. Uh, now rings are just two big sticks of secondary stat right so it's either you know haste mastery or versatility crit or whatever else sort of thing um so rings are incredibly important to get right like you need to know what your stat is for whatever rings you're picking up um but they're also very hard to get like you can't get rings in a lot of places where you would be able to otherwise like farm loot um because the you know like y'all you're like in world quests or whatever most of the time when you open a world quest box it's not going to give you a ring because it'll only give you armor um and so like that's a little frustrating yeah no i i I get that um yeah no i so the other part of this is like like i think was pretty good at like rewarding you for pushing what you can pushing your capability essentially right like um wow is good at you know like, like like we were talking about kind of here right like you know you you like doing putting in the time and doing a level 15 mythic dungeon gets you a couple different things right and like that's you pushing what you can do um and part of this is that the, the treadmill's kind of gated in a way um Something like, like I really like to say, uh, I don't know what the, pro- or I guess they're called action RPGs, but like Diablo style games, right? Um, I like kind of like the the loot treadmill there. I think that's like, like that, that just like inherently appeals to me. Um, yeah. But part of the problem is, is like the, like the correct way to play those games is typically you, um, you repeatedly run the stuff that's easy to do rather than trying to push what you possibly could do. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, that is going away entirely in Shadowlands because they're getting rid of Titan Forging. Like, so for instance, something that you could that could happen right now in BFA is you could get a low-level item drop with a very good corruption on it. And it's like, oh, well, maybe I will take off my 460 belt and put on my 445 belt because the 445 belt has a very good piece of corruption, right? Um, which is a system that we, we've had for a long time that we've talked about for a long time. I actually really like this because it kind of means that no matter what I'm doing – there's a chance, right, that I could get, like, a useful upgrade or whatever. But in Shadowlands, the ethos, they said, is loot is loot, right? Um, And right now, you get lots of different pieces of gear, but the actual upgrades are come with the random stuff, right? So, like, Titan Forging, War Forging, um, 
sockets, you know, all that kind of stuff. What uh, what Shadowlands is going to do is there there's none of that. The the amount of loot has dropped dramatically, so you're getting like much less gear compared to what you would otherwise get in like BFA, right? You know, uh, bosses are dropping one to two less pieces of of loot. Uh, the end of a Mythic Plus dungeon has one piece of gear in it. The chest at the end of a Mythic Plus dungeon has one piece of gear in it. Um, the uh, uh, the bonus token reroll things that you used to have in raids where you'd like buy the coins and you can reroll on specific bosses to see if you can get a piece of gear that you need. Uh, those are, those are all going away. But when you do get the piece of gear that you are looking for, it's pretty huge. Like it's a big deal. Cause there's no better version of it. You know what I mean? If you get the heroic, whatever sword off of the raid boss, whomever, there is no version of that sword that is better. Oh, from interesting. Heroic, obviously. Um, which I think is actually kind of neat, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of excited for it. I'm sort of jazzed for it. Because, uh, like, you know, creating that feeling of, like, the of, of, like, chase gear, right? Of the thing I really want is tough, in a way. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like I feel like if we're gonna live in a world without Titan forging and Warforging or whatever, um, you you sort of have to lower the amount of gear that gets doled out because otherwise people just get like, geared up in like ten fucking seconds. Yeah, no, that, no, that, that sounds absolutely right. Especially because like there's like it sounds like there's no minor variations either, right? Like one of the, one of the things it's like I find compelling about say uh, Diablo is that like you know you've got like pieces. Um, and then you can keep grinding to get kind of like like you know it gives, oh better more, rolls on those pieces yeah yeah it's like it's still Pareto level stuff but like um, you know you can at least go for a little while and in fact it's, it's kind of weird because I usually fall off of those games after a little after like I hit like a like I actually think that seasonal sets are terrible in Diablo three because I like lose all desire to start to keep playing after I get my seasonal set because like that's like a big power boost that I'm not gonna get another one um, yep anytime soon um. Uh, that is exactly what I, I mean. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. I did season twenty twenty one of Diablo three, and that's exactly what happened. I got my I got my seasonal set, and then I played a little bit more just to like finish off the. There's that achievement that you know. There, there's like the levels of achievement you can go, and you can go all the way down to like level eight if you want. But I just went to like level five, which is the get your seasonal set, do a couple of things with it, you know, prove that you can do a fucking. Key, 35 keystone greater rift and and then you got play with the power of your set for a little while right like yeah you know and like the amount of time i put into leveling the character getting the character gear way outstripped the amount of time i played with the set um but you know yeah yeah no I, yeah no but i see what you mean it, no and so the when a sword drops that sword has those stats. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it is set in stone. I do think that there will be... So, for instance, um, like, one of the things that I liked a lot in 8.3 of Battle for Azeroth is they created a loot... Uh, they created, like, a loot pathway for solo players where I, as a solo player, can be earning mythic-level loot. This is horrific visions that, we, that like, we've talked about before. This is also the thing that levels up your cloak and earns you a bunch of, like, Echoes of Nihilotha kind of thing. Um, but if you do the hardest version of those, five mask, five chest, you get a piece of 470 gear, which is five item levels lower than Mythic gear. Mythic gear is 475. Um, and uh, the pieces like those 
do have random rolls. You might have a crit verse. You might have haste verse. You might have crit mastery or whatever. But I think the values are always the same because you always have one that's a little bit better than the other. So it's like verse heavy or haste heavy sort right. of thing is the, is the way people talk about it. Um, so technically, I don't know. There's some mat- There must be like a matrix of that, of like whatever, 16 different items that you could get with hypothetically good and bad rolls, right? Sure, sure. Um, but a piece that will drop off of a gear, or a piece that will of gear that will drop off of a boss, is going to be that piece of gear. You can see it in the dungeon journal or whatever, and it's going to have those stats no matter what. Um, it, it, one of the interesting things is that so they're bringing back legendaries, which is a part of a whole new crafting thing. Um, you actually, you might find this sort of, uh, you might find this sort of sy- system interesting. So the way legendaries work and crafted gear works is that there are these things called missives that like a scribe will make. It's like a missive of haste, a missive of mastery. When you want to make a legendary, you put in a missive of mastery or a missive of haste, and it will give you haste mastery on the legendary when you craft it so like you you and then obviously legendaries have like legendary effects right so like if i go and i find the cool legendary effect that i want whatever that is right um i can put that into a thing with the missives of haste mastery let's say haste mastery is my best stat combo so that's what i'm going to do and i'll output here's my legendary and my legendary has optimal stats for me kind of thing um which is like also neat because it means that it's not like I'm going to have to be re-rolling legendaries over and over again to try and get the correct distribution of secondary stats. Yeah. No, I, I, th- I think part of this, part of the reason why this all works out is because, you know, MMOs have things to do that aren't just, you know, playing the, like, you know, pushing the content, right? Like, um, you know, like, like Diablo, like you can play dress up, but like, that's like seen by like, not a lot of people, and it's not exactly a, a as much of a social game, right? Um, whereas, like, wow, like you know, if you want to just like hunt Mog and go hang out in the main city and and you know show off your your nice costume, that's like a thing you can legitimately do in a way. Um, yeah, I also think about this in when it comes to different sort. Like, for instance, I could be an achievement hunting player um, who is just looking to get mounts and achievements or whatever. Like, that might be my motivation for playing the game. Um, I might be a gold producing player who's trying to get these chase gold items like the Brutosaur that we've talked about before. I might be a, you know, uh, a mythic raider and I'm doing raiding. I might be a mythic plus player, right? Doing mythic plus. I might be a PVP player. So like in a certain sense, WoW has a bunch of different game modes all mushed together in a way. Um, and kind of like interacting with each other. Like, so for instance, some of the legend, like the legendary recipes come from specific spots in the game and some of the legendary recipes in shadowlands come from pvp and some of them come from pve so like if i want uh do you remember cephas's secret the the ring that says like when you interrupt somebody or apply a loss of crowd control effect you get like a big boost for 20 seconds or whatever sure yeah yeah Yeah. so that effect is back as a legendary recipe but that comes from pvp you have to do a certain amount of pvp farm out the you know whatever the currency and buy it from a, like a pvp vendor which is very controversial because like pvp pairs hate the idea that they have to do pve for like good gear and pve players hate the idea that they have to do pvp for good gear um so you know that's the thing yeah yeah i don't know it's certainly interesting and certainly like part of why these games are compelling i guess uh but we're way over 
uh, the time that we usually yeah, we spend on the episode. Are. But so, uh, unless you want to talk about anything else in this, like I, I'd ask you how your week week was. Uh, well, the good news is I played a lot of World of Warcraft. The bad news is that's all I did really. I actually I watched some TV shows that we could talk about. I guess. Well, what TV shows did you watch? I watched the first two and a half seasons of Narcos. Have you seen or heard about Narcos, the Netflix series? I think so. It's the one about the drug lord, right? Yeah, so it's actually it's it's a, it's about Pablo Escobar, and it's actually the place where uh, Pedro Pascal got his start, which I didn't realize. Like I think of him as you know like Game of Thrones or whatever, but like no, actually he uh, he's the Javier Pena, like one of the agents, one of the DEA agents. It's like going after Pablo Escobar or whatever. Um, well, I, to, to be honest, it's like it's like a fine show. I wouldn't call it like groundbreaking or revolutionary, but it's a particularly tough show because a lot of it is in Spanish and subtitled to the point where I actually feel like I am low-key learning Spanish a bit um, because I'll do things like I will look away from the monitor or whatever. Like I'll be playing while I'll be like focusing on a thing, but I'll be listening to them speak Spanish and I can still like kind of understand <laughs> a certain extent of like what they're, you know, of what they're, like, talking about, even though I'm, like, not sitting and reading the subtitles. Which, to be honest, I feel like it's a pretty ballsy move, you know, to have, um... So what you're your... saying is, is you're a weeb, but for Spanish. Yeah, in a certain sense, I am a weeb, but for fucking Spanish, I guess. Um, and it's funny, too, because I can, I can hear the ways that the sub... Like, so, for instance, the word puta gets used all the time. By the Spanish-speaking characters, right? Um, and then, it, but it gets translated in a million different ways in the subtitles. Sometimes it means "son of a bitch." Sometimes it means, you know, like "asshole." Sometimes it means "fuck." Um, in, and in very like various iterations of the word "fuck," like it might be like "fucking" or like you know, like you might call somebody like a fucking piece of shit or whatever. Um, and but it'll always come back to the word puta, which is like, clearly this means many different things. And they're kind of like translating by idiom in a way. Right. I um, mean, but that, that's localization, right? Like this, this is a, yeah, this yeah, yeah, is yeah. a that's thing that's like a, sure. sometimes a controversy in like games and, and anime, right? Like, I'm, like mm-hmm. this happens a lot with Japanese because, also because like, you know, at least things in the same language family, you can like make a little bit, you know, localization is a little bit less, um, kind of like less distant if that makes sense um whereas like kind of like you know essentially having to like there are certain aspects of of japanese that like maybe are a little bit further off that you kind of need to have cultural relevance to completely understand um it reminds me of the uh the difference between fan dubs and uh have you ever seen there's like a video for it do you know pro zd yeah 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 yeah, he oh, yeah. has a video that's like the difference between like fan subs or fan dubs and official dubs, and, and one of them is like, <laughs> "You are my Namaka Sasuke," and there's like a big asterisk on like, screen like, note, describing yeah. what a Namaka is, and it's like, "Well, it's actually best friend, but it's better than best friend. It's only Japanese term, you know, like that kind of yeah. thing." Uh, no. Yeah. So I watched like I watched two and a half seasons of Narcos. Um, uh, it is like it's kind of like Better Call Saul, but worse in a lot of ways, which I think partially comes down to like the it being based on real life events in a way. Right. Um, I don't get the sense that the show is entirely accurate. To be honest, I mean nothing um, ever is I, right. Yeah, nothing ever is. But I don't know. It feels. I guess I guess I would say things feel pretty contrived in that show, um, but. Um, uh, there are, you know, like some cool, 
uh, like some cool pieces. And like, I also just don't know this. Like, everybody knows Pablo Escobar by uh, reputation. Um, but like, if if I were to ask you, like, what did Pablo Escobar like actually do? Like, how much about him and his history would you would you be able to? Uh, he did the drugs. Uh, and uh, I don't, I'm not even certain about it. Is he Colombia or is he some other? Yeah, con- he's okay, Columbia. okay. At least I knew that one. Um, but like, uh, I mean, I've got some like incidental knowledge that's like it's got like political lenses to it, right? Like, I like my understanding is that he like started to exert control over the local government more, mostly because. Um, you know, in, in the telling that I usually hear, it's like the U.S. government decided to come in and fuck with him, so he decided he had to like do something about it, right? Like, um, whereas like you know maybe he would have just like kept to his own and like just sold drugs without doing any of the the paramilitary stuff if they hadn't. But you know, I don't know how true those claims are. Yeah, well, so yeah, so the big thing is that he collaborated with communists to attack uh, the Supreme Court building in Bogota, and. Uh, and like killed half the Supreme Court while they were ruling on extradition treaties because like the thing that like Pablo Escobar and the other narcos like really feared was extradition to the U.S. because like you know going to going to jail in Colombia would obviously be much more preferable than like getting locked up in a cell in, in the U.S. sort of thing. So like yeah, there's like there's a bunch of there's like a bunch of this stuff, and I like never knew any of this you know like history. Like I knew that like Pablo Escobar brought in a bunch of hippos that are now that are technically like an invasive species but not in a bad way they just now live in the fucking amazon rainforest and it's fine um (laughs) because he brought them from africa um and so but so like honestly it, it has been it has been interesting if not like the most compelling television uh of all time uh i will say that it is like brutal um one of the nice things about it being set in Colombia versus the US is that you sort of don't have to pretend towards like certain like US convictions in a way um like so for instance my favorite character in the show Colonel Carrillo is uh he's like the guy who runs search block which is like the the like the FBI task force kind of thing that is like coming to take down Pablo Escobar um they just kind of have shootouts all the time with, like, Pablo Escobar's Sicarios. And it's just, like, a fucking bloodbath or whatever. Uh, and it's one of those things where if this was happening in the United States, it would, like, crack my s- suspension of disbelief wide open. It's like, come on. People aren't having, like, you know, gigantic shootouts with the mob anymore. Like, maybe in the 20s you, yeah, could, yeah. you, know, you could say something like that, right? But, like, in modern times, if they did that in Breaking Bad, it would be, like fucking ridiculous right yeah unless you played it right but, right like like you like yeah, you know, like, yeah. you know, like ruby ridge was kind of like whack but like it was you know everybody who knows about it knows it was it was crazy and like you know has long lasting effects that ripple through history right like it's hard to believe yeah yeah, yeah. uh whereas like in this show like you know colonel carrillo he captures a bunch of sicarios and he takes them up in a fucking helicopter and he's like flip on Pablo and they're like no and he pushes him out of the helicopter and it's just like you can kind of get away with that shit a little bit because it's like oh well fuck I guess you know I mean that's process matters a little bit less in, I mean get yeah, like that 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 actually uh, so are, are you from are you do you know anything about Pinochet 
yeah, no, oh, yeah, yeah. Because, like, well, so, helicopter I, I rides be, for I, I communists do. is, like, a thing that, like, just, like, popped into my head right there, right? Like... Yeah, so I do want to be clear, by the way, that I'm not... Like, I don't think that this is true to reality. Right, right. right. I do think that Colombians care about due process and that due process is involved or whatever. And I think that this is probably part where, like, this is where the show is taking its liberties sort of thing. Um, but from a narrative perspective, right, uh, it can go a lot farther sure. because it's set in Colombia than... Uh, than sure, sure. Shows in the US yeah, yeah, no, and, and, you know, I, I don't think... Yeah, that, actually, yeah. so, like, the interaction between, like, con- like, so, for instance, the first half of Narcos is they're having a real hard time getting anybody to care about Pablo Escobar, and then uh, they it is when they're able to link Pablo Escobar to communists in the jungle... Uh, to, like, Nicaraguan communists in the jungle that they are able to, like, get support from, like, the CIA and shit, which I was like, woof. No, I mean, you know, that that sounds about right, you know. Yeah, no, I I mean, there's, like, you know, I'm going to push back just a little bit and say that, like, you know, like, some of that stuff sounds like it could happen, like, in, in a place that has, like, less kind of, like, protections and less kind of total... Like uh, a, a less cool. How do I want to put this? A a less uh, a less cohesive society, maybe is the right way to put it, right? Yeah, like sure. um, less strong government, maybe. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's is, is, Do you think it's worth a, a watch? I would say it's definitely worth a watch, especially like to see Pedro Pascal his like sort of rise like you immediately get it you're like oh i understand exactly why these fucking casting directors were all over this guy oh, okay um, that makes sense because he's he's great and he's super compelling uh, i it does have the typical netflix problem that i have which is the bingeable series are a little too long i would like cut t- 15 to 20 percent of most episodes to make it a little bit tighter and also very blended together i have i would have a very hard time telling you where the difference like where the end of one episode is and like the beginning of the another is so it kind of functioned a little bit like a 10-hour movie to me um but that's fine that's kind of exactly what i've looking been looking for to be honest with you i am so excited for the changes to leveling in wow that i've been leveling on the ptr on characters that are going to disappear in like a week um because uh, so like because the, the core thing that they did right is they they smushed the item levels or the the character levels down to sixty right um, and made it so that every level you get something right you your your ability yeah I think you went over this bit. last week actually yeah I definitely went over this last last week um, and uh, and it's just so engaging and so compelling that I am preferring to do it. Rather, even though those characters are temporary, and I know that work, I've put a bunch of time into these characters. I know it's disappearing. You know what I mean? Um, but it's just like, it's a much better experience in the moment. And to be honest with you, I had obviously a huge week because God Viral launched or whatever, and I just like needed to fucking chill out. Um, that it was just like, wow, holy fuck, this is, this is so much better. It's so much nicer. No, that makes, it makes perfect sense. Oh, and the other thing I did is I watched Palm Springs. Have you seen Palm Springs? I have not. That's the, that's the Groundhog Day-ish movie, right? Yes, on Hulu. It's very good. I, I, I guess I would recommend it, but I won't say anything else. Yeah, I need, I need to. I definitely. It's it's Andy Samberg, right? It's Andy Samberg. I think Christina like Milanakis is her name or whatever. She's been like around on the periphery for a long a long time uh, in a bunch of different things, but I feel like this is the first thing that I can really place place okay. her in. I feel like she's kind of um, I don't know. 
She's like never a series regular, but she'll pop up in like guest spots on like these comedy shows. Have you have you seen Hot Rod? Oh my god, I love Hot Rod. I love Hot I Rod too. Hot Rod is one of my Rod. favorite movies. Uh, uh, yeah, Hot Rod is also similarly one of my favorite movies. I bought it. I bought it on Amazon a long time ago, and I was just like, you know, every once in a while, I'll just fucking watch yeah, Hot no, Rod. I, the part where they have. There are just so many good parts to yeah. Hot Rod. Oh, yeah. Like the part where they have the big uh, the big musical number, like, throw your voice in it, understand it. Yeah, yeah. And then it devolves into a riot. Yeah. It's just like comedic genius. My like my favorite is like, you know, he's doing the slam dance scene, right? Like, which is a straight kind of homage to slam dance and he just like falls down the hill for like like it feels like a full minute, right? He's just like like just they just like play the part out like it's like keeps fucking going uh man I, it's just it's, it's so good uh, i think i saw i think i think i remember i didn't see it in theaters but i did see it uh in high school with like a bunch of us or whatever and one of our things we would do in high school is we would wa- rewatch scenes on the dvd with different uh, like with different localization right so with like the different dubs so for instance in Shaun of the dead you know the part where the guy gets pulled through the wall and just like completely disemboweled into a million different pieces we watched that piece like that you know whatever minute and a half chunk in like german french spanish you know what i mean and we did the same thing with him falling down on in hot rod him falling down the hill we just did it every fucking language that was on that dvd <sighs> man man uh Maybe we should do an episode on Hot Rod or another kind of. Maybe we should movie. do an episode on Hot Rod. I will say though that this is not very like Hot Rod. Um, this is a much more, I guess, like it. I don't. I don't want to say like Andy Samberg is like taking himself seriously or whatever, but like this movie is very played straight. Where like part of Hot Rod, Hot Rod sort of is. Uh, Hot, in, in Hot Rod sense. is a Lonely Island movie, right? Like like Pop Star. I don't yeah. know if you ever saw Pop Star. I like Pop Star. Oh yeah, Pop Star is also a very good movie. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, like Hot Rod obviously is like poking fun at itself and like the genre in that kind of like community way that we always talk about like referential humor or whatever um whereas like there's a little bit of that because the characters understand the core premise of time loops and like time loop movies or whatever but it's not like riffing or parodying or right well well, like like, groundhog day was a parody movie or was a humor movie right like it's much harder to do a like you know hot rod is a satire of like coming of age stories in a lot of ways Right, mm-hmm. like, uh, whereas, like, there is no real, like, the the serious time loop movies are, like, not that, there's not that many of them, and, uh, and especially in kind of, like, that way, right? Like, where you don't take, the, we talked about this last week when I talked about Tenet, right? Like, there's not a lot of time travel movies that take themselves seriously in a way that would be, like, easy to parody in a long-form way, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, for my week, I, uh, I played more Hades, um... Uh, the big. How many hours do you have in Hades right now? I'm not sure. Let me see if I, ha- I have it on the Epic Games Store because I bought it when it came out. Um, even though I didn't end up playing until 1.0. Um, I love Supergiant though. Like, super, like you know, um, it's like this. Like, I am actually kind of like like Cyberpunk is gonna have to do work because as of now, Hades is my game of the year. Um, which is like like this has wow. been a fantastic year for gaming for me, right? Like, CK3 has been awesome. Hades has like Hades is like like I said I think I said this last week is the true heir to Bastion, um, and Cyberpunk you know looks like it's going to be great it looks like it's going to be epic and maybe in like a way that's like not going to like like the past two years we've done like kind of three categories for game of the year and this is mostly come from uh, that my prodding and mostly because I kind of like 
want to be able to give game of the year to more game the more than one game right <laughs> um because uh, yeah. they like you know hades is probably not going to compare uh in a lot of ways to uh uh he's not going to compare to to cyberpunk just because it's not going to be as it's kind of like epic as triple a right i have um one day one day 18 hours in it so that's what like 30 30 42 42 hours yeah 42 hours yeah wow yeah um and you know i hit credits but there's still more past that so um it's i don't know it's super super compelling um to me at least um the only other thing that i would think to talk about and uh we talk about for a little while is, is do you have any thoughts about the Microsoft acquisition of Todd Howard and the rest of Zenimax media? Uh, that is a good question. Um, I do have some thoughts. Mostly they are, I think Microsoft realizes that the Xbox one didn't perform because its exclusives were not great. And that instead of creating good studios, they've just been buying studios. They did it with the Orion Blind Force people. They did it with Obsidian. And they're just continuing that trend to... I thought Ori was... Bethesda. I thought Ori was always in-house. Like, I thought Ori, was it always in-house? I think Ori was like always a Microsoft Game Studios game. Um, I honestly should probably know the answer. But whatever the case may be, um, I just feel like they are they are like... You know, when you have to stand up against, you know, Insomniac and Naughty Dog, um, they just, like, weren't able to do that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I do I do wonder. So, like, there's some rumors that, like, you know, um, Microsoft may have freed uh, Bethesda from, like, the tyranny of the ZeniMax businessmen who are, uh, according to rumors, the ones that made it so that um, uh, uh, made it so that, like, they – they basically told them that they, they, they wouldn't give them any money to, or they wouldn't let them essentially work on improving the engine. It's like the game still sell. There's no need to improve the engine. Go make another one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and like, there were some rumors that like the fallout, uh, fallout 76 was like kind of a sideways way for them to convince them to like, let them work on some internet technology. Um, Cause they thought it could be a cash cow. Um, uh, it's, it's, it, and um, so the, the other big thing that happened with them and this, I don't know, like this is like, Maybe not related, but um, like uh, I don't know. Uh, so in American politics, Robert Trump's or Robert Trump, who is the president's brother, passed away, and he was on the board of ZeniMax Media. And there's some thought that like maybe him passing away was kind of like a, a, a way for like the sale to happen, right? Like that the you know he was a large shareholder, so maybe that that had an effect on it. It's, it's all very I don't know, all interesting. Um, I'm I'm hoping that it means good things for Bethesda, but who who the fuck knows, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I have not been super kind to Bethesda recently. Um, I mean, I haven't played the Doom games, which I'm sure I would I would like yeah. a lot. But obviously, Fallout 76, nobody nobody really responded super super great to. Though I'm ter- you know, I'm told like all these games they turned it around over time. Um, uh, but like obviously, like I I'm famously mad at Fallout 4, even though I have also played like 400 hours of it. Yeah. Um, so my, my favorite thing is people pointing out that like you know well now microsoft owns both bethesda and obsidian so you know maybe fallout new vegas 2 could be a thing that yeah happens. i mean you know to be honest with you i should go back to the outer worlds uh i played like you know i played a bunch of that game and then i never went back to it we talked about it for yeah. a while and i was like i love this the i haven't played a game like this in forever i love this kind of game and i never went back to it what the fuck is wrong with you me? know i i'm <laughs> playing too much wow i definitely get that though right? yeah i like, guess so yeah, yeah yeah um similarly i want to i i always meant to go back and finish the outer wilds um which is not, oh yeah 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 um you know uh 
because Game Pass is fucking excellent and I don't use it enough. Um, uh, you know, I keep paying for the. That's like my Netflix subscription, right? Like I keep paying for it and I don't jump into it a ton. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Otherwise, I'm, just, I'm, I'm reading CK3 patch notes before we started recording and uh, they fixed some like kind of exploity things, which makes me happy. But um, that's like a lot of, that's like basically all that I can talk about, uh, I think. Um, you know, you don't get 42 hours in Hades by not playing Hades. So, uh, yeah, that was basically my week. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, I don't think I do. All right. Well, if you'd like to email us, tell us what you think about the Covenant system and WoW, or any other things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at simderpsplaygames at gmail.com or podcastsimderpsplaygames.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash simderpsplaygames. At some point, we will start streaming this live once uh, I get my act together um, and maybe we we can figure out how to do things. So be looking looking for that. Um, uh, rate and review us on iTunes, support us on Patreon if you would like. I think that's everything I have but do you have anything else you're looking to promote? I guess I am looking to promote uh, that Gone Viral came out last week and is still out. Um, I, I don't really have anything else to say about it. I It is a game that I hope you all love and enjoy as much as I love and enjoy it. Uh, I would also recommend picking it up now because like, we're doing one of those things where like if you pick it up early, you get a bunch of free shit. You know, like, and then you get free shit each month that, you know, like for, for having it. So if you get it today... It's better than getting it three months from now, sort of thing. So I don't know. Does that include? There you go. Does that inc- is that included in in the keys that were given out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because you you won one of the keys, right? Yeah. No, and and I will point out that it, 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 this I completely and totally legitimately won those keys. I it wasn't even yeah. Buddy well, I don't run. Yeah, so I do not run the Twitter anymore. The Twitter was run by my very good friend Miguel. Uh, so uh, I could not have given. Yeah, no, I'm. Yeah, well, I'm not. <laughs> I just, you know, I just want to put that out there. That way people don't think there's any, any sort of foul play happening. Um, yeah, true. Uh, but, yeah, um, I guess with that then, uh, until next time, your listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.